Well, good morning indeed. I want to first say I appreciate the elders here at Pippin for giving me another giving me another opportunity to preach. I think this is lucky number 11. Not that 11 is lucky, but I think this is number 11 for me. And I want to uh, thank you all very much for allowing me to do this. I do uh, enjoy it every time. seems like it gets a little bit easier. Um, for those of you all who came to, to listen to Brother Randy preach this morning, I'll go ahead and apologize in advance. I do this for free so I can make this joke, but I'm a firm believer in the adage that you get what you pay for. So... We'll see how it goes. The title for this lesson this morning is Go Play Baseball. Now, this lesson has absolutely nothing to do with baseball. Don't worry about that. I'm going to use that as an analogy. But it's a lesson on obedience and, more importantly, how our interpretation of the Bible plays into uh, whether we are being obedient or not. Uh, again, the, the primary goal is a look at proper obedience. And, you know, proper interpretation of the Scripture is... Very, very important for us to understand. In Brother Lester's class this morning, that word came up very often, understanding. Did the people that Jesus was talking to understand what he said? Well, that's why Jesus spoke in such a way in the parable, so that they could understand him. They didn't have to be learned. They didn't have to be educated. They just had to, you know, be alive and understand what he was saying. But understanding even nowadays, even though a lot of these parables, you know, I'm not a farmer, I know nothing about sowing seed, but I can understand that parable when somebody explains it to me. But that's the idea. We have to make sure we have a proper interpretation. And the, the scripture reading that uh, was read just a second ago, 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing, dividing it properly, interpreting it as, uh, as it would need to be uh, to, to, to teach other people, to learn it for yourself. And there at the bottom, understanding in itself is ultimately important. Let me read for you Acts 8, verses 30 through 31. This is, you'll probably recognize this, this is uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, Philip, Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And we all know the rest of the story from there. The man was baptized and eventually brought into you know, obedience. <clears throat> Let's go with there. So understanding, again, in itself is important. It's very important that we understand what we mean when we say Jesus is the Son of God. What does that mean? It's very important that we understand that and what it means to confess his name, what it means to repent. These very vital that we understand these things. Now, this is a word you guys may have heard before. I was introduced, not, introduced to it not long ago. Uh, the uh, Tennessee Bible College over here at uh, just on the other side of, of 111, I was looking at one of the syllabuses for one of their Bible classes, and that was hermeneutics, is that, is that word. And hermeneutics, I've got the definition there, but it's basically how you interpret something. It's the logic that you follow when you are trying to figure something out. Big word, I've never used it before, but that's what it means. And like I said, the the theory and practice of interpretation. Now, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they had extreme differences in their interpretations. The Pharisees were almost solely based on their traditions, things that they had changed that somebody thought was a good idea that they upheld as being the truth. And the Sadducees, they were more sticklers for the word, but they didn't believe in the resurrection. So we've seen those. Now, Paul... He interpreted the scriptures at one point in uh, Acts 17, and it made the Pharisees angry. 
the way he interpreted it. Let me read that for you. It's Acts 17, 1 through 11. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach to you, is Christ. That's the beginning of it there. Now, some of them believed, as we see, but the rest of them didn't. They went so far as to go and get uh, Caesar's soldiers to come and try to arrest Paul and Silas because, you know, they were preaching that Jesus, he's the Christ, he's the king, and they're saying, hey, no, no, wait, Caesar's the king, and they were using that angle to get them arrested. Well, as we move down further to verse 10 of Acts 17, uh, chapter 1, the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night into Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. So you have two different people here. You have the ones at Thessalonica, some believe Paul and Silas, um, but the others didn't. They interpreted it differently, and so they argued with him. And then you, you have, on the other hand, the ones at Berea, who they agreed wholeheartedly with their interpretation because they searched the scriptures and they found that it lined up, that everything made sense. And that, that note there, the denominational world today, the differences between, say, what we believe leads to salvation and what the Baptists believe and what the Catholics believe lead to salvation are almost entirely matters of interpretation. Almost all of them. You know, you have those adages, the, the faith only or the once believed or once saved, always saved, or any of those. All of those are matters of interpretation. <clears throat> and these, these three points down here, Something that I heard from, from Brother, actually there's quite a few from Brother Randy in this, in this lesson. I'm sure you'll recognize most of them. But this, these, these three right here were ones that I kind of took to heart. There's a simple logic in interpreting the Bible. There's one assumption. You assume that the Bible is perfect and true on all accounts. You either believe that or you don't. Okay? If that is true, if the Bible is perfect, if it is true on all accounts, then it never conflicts with itself and... Because it never conflicts with itself, any conclusion that you draw, if that conclusion conflicts, then your conclusion is wrong. Does that make sense? The Bible is perfect. It doesn't conflict. And if something you decide, something you come up, you know, you draw a conclusion that conflicts elsewhere, that conclusion is wrong and you need to start over. That is the, the simple way to interpret the Bible correctly. <clears throat> and... Of course, here's the other part. We've seen these three from Brother Randy before, but I'd like to go over them one more time. But biblical authority is realized three ways. We have direct commands, approved examples, and necessary inferences. Direct commands, those are easy. Those are easy. Things like, thou shalt not murder. Okay, done. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Okay, we understand. No big deal. Approved examples, they're a little different. They take a little more understanding, a little more correlation between, you know, yourself, your experiences, and then what the Bible says. So things like the conversion accounts where we can see that, you know, ten times baptism was mentioned as required. So we can, from those examples, conclude that baptism is required. And then we have the parables like we talked about this morning in class. They take a little bit of correlation, a little bit of understanding, but the point is made. And then the bottom one, necessary inferences. Those are, those are a little harder. Um, but it's something that we have to 
you, you, you know, you draw the conclusion based on all of the facts. Uh, for example, in, in Acts 11, we see Peter's vision where uh, he, was, uh, he saw the, the platter there with all of the unclean animals, the, the critters, the, the cloven hoof, all of those, and God said, eat. And he said, no. And uh, God said, let's see, what God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. And the idea, the point that God was making is that these Gentiles have just as equal a part as the Jews in the salvation through Jesus. That was the point. God didn't straight and tell him, hey, the Gentiles are good to go. He didn't tell them that in so many words. He gave him a vision. And in Acts 15, we see him explaining that vision to uh, the people that he was talking to. <clears throat> let, me, let me read that for you. Acts 15, 1 through 11. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation, I'm sorry, disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem under the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God hath done with them. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved, even as they. They, them, being the Gentiles. So a lot of these Jews who had become Christians were still adamant that the law of Moses is still in place. Circumcision is still required. And obviously Paul was very much against that. He brought points. He had a vision. He told them as much. Here is the interpretation of the vision. Very important for you to understand. <clears throat> so here's the analogy. What if, big what if, God said, go play baseball? Just what if? How many ways can this be interpreted? Well, judging from how, how many different denominations there are, I forget the number that, that we were given a couple of weeks ago, but it was a very, very large number. How many ways can this be interpreted? Well, according to them, many. I don't see how, but there's only one way to interpret it correctly, as I throw in that underlined word there. There's only one way to interpret it correctly. If God told me to go play baseball, I would go play baseball. And I would think that most of us would go play baseball as well. We're going to get into a, a couple of things here in a second, but before I get there, let's, I want to talk about what causes these different interpretations. Why is, is baptism such a problem? Why is faith only or once saved, always saved? Why are they such you know, a, a, a large portion of what people call Christian doctrine nowadays? Well, I'd say the number one motivation for different interpretations is sin. Easily enough, either somebody is prideful in that they think, well, I, I know a better way. And then they make up their own doctrine and other people believe them and they hear them. Two, somebody is selfish 
They want to, and I've heard of this before, and it's a shame, but people will start their own church to make money. Not start their own church to bring people to God, but because religion is a very uh, money-making scheme that some people have used. The, the, the bigger portion, however, of, these, of why these different interpretations grow so popular is the hearer. The person who hears it, they either believe it or they don't. And the lack of understanding, not, no, not hearing the proper interpretation, not, hearing, not understanding it for themselves, I think is the bigger reason why some of these interpretations are so popular now. And Colossians 3, verses 4 and 6, talks about the children of disobedience. I'll read that here in a second. But an incorrect interpretation, whether it's your fault or whether you're just listening to somebody else, it's still disobedience. You're still not obeying what the Bible says if you're interpreting it incorrectly. Let me read that Colossians 3, 4 through 6. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. So if your interpretation of the Bible leads you to stray, it is still your fault for not understanding, for not learning, for not teaching, or learning from the correct source. So let's see, look at the, the very top line there. Go play blank. All right? How many people interpret the Bible like this? Have you, how many times have you heard somebody say, you know, you know, I'd rather not play baseball. I don't like baseball. But softball, now I'm good at softball. I'd rather play softball. It's close enough, right? Softball, baseball, they're pretty close. It's okay, no big deal. Or even the, the second quote there. Now, but if somebody were to say something like, it doesn't matter what you play, as long as you play something. Now relate that in a religious sense to the plan of salvation, like specifically baptism. Nah, I'd rather not. It's not that big of a deal. I'm here, right? That's what counts. Well, we have a few examples in the Bible of disobedience of this sort. And I know we're, we're all familiar with Uzzah, or Uzzah, and you know, the, the children of Israel uh, were told to carry the ark a certain way, you know, with the poles through the, the rings that were in the corners, and that was it. They were not told to put it on a, on a cart and haul it behind an ox. Well, that's what they did. And as the, the ox cart stumbled, the ark began to tip. Uzzah reached his hand up, sincerely, just wanting to protect the ark, I have no doubt, but he did it incorrectly. He was not obedient to what God said, and he lost his life for it. God killed him. And we're all familiar with that. And also Nadab and Abihu. We remember those. They brought strange fire. They were supposed to get the fire from the altar and use that to light the incense. But they didn't. They brought strange fire. And for that, they were both killed. Not that there was anything insincere about what they were doing. Not that they were being malevolent at all. But they simply did not do what God said. They disobeyed. And what do we, how does this carry over to some of the interpretations today. The baptism of Memphis that the, the Catholic Church is, is big on. They, their confirmation ceremonies and stuff. What does an infant know about baptism? It feels like a bath. That's about it. And that's not what baptism is. What about those denominations that sprinkle or pour? 
not immerse. The Bible, when you go back to the, to the Hebrew, the original writing, that word means to immerse fully, not to sprinkle, not to pour, but to immerse fully. And some people just decide that that's not important, that doing the word of the Bible is not important. We also have a, a good example, anyways, um, a misunderstanding at Ephesus. Ephesus. Let me read this. It's in Acts 19, verses 1 through 5. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. And finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost, ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people, that Thou should believe on him which should come after him. That is, on Christ, Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So here was a group of men who had been baptized by John. And as far as, as they were told, that's all they needed. Okay? Paul <clears throat> comes in and, and tells them differently. Baptized of the Holy Ghost. That is what you need. And they, you know, they were in ignorance, so to speak, but that still didn't cover them. They took the, you know, the actions upon themselves to fix the problem. And that is what we should do, obviously. That is the, the example. We find a problem with our interpretation that we find that even if we're ignorant of it, somebody else told us something, we believe it, that's not valid. We have to learn it for ourselves and understand it properly. So go play blank. What about people that interpret the Bible like this? Go blank baseball. Meaning, you know what, instead of playing baseball, I'm going to sit in the stands and watch. Is that playing baseball? No. Or the, I'm here, that's what counts. God said go play baseball, but I'm here, that's, I'm close enough. How many times have you heard that from a, a denominational preacher? Bad interpretations, all of them. No, it's not good to watch when God says to play. No, it's not good to just be there. When God says to play. Ananias and Sapphira are an interesting example. I'm sure we're familiar with this, but I'll read it. <clears throat> Beginning uh, Before this, in the, in the, the end of uh, Acts 4, we, we see this, this gesture that the Christians are making. They weren't commanded to do this, but all these Christians were selling everything they had, and they were kind of pooling their funds together so that nobody would, would be in want. So if you needed something, you would come and, and you, it would be provided. But everybody was selling uh, what they had. And they weren't commanded to do so. It was just a simple gesture that they decided to do. Well, Ananias and Sapphira, as, uh, let me read there before I get into it. Acts 5, verses 1 through 10. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out, and buried him. Let's stop right there for a second. Ananias and Sapphira were not commanded to sell the possession and to give it back. They sold it. They gave 
part of it, but they told them, here's what we sold it for. They lied. Their interpretation was, hey, we're going to do this. We're going to keep a little for ourselves. Whether it was greed, selfishness, we're not sure. But they were perfectly within their right to keep some for themselves. Nobody told them they couldn't. You get the point? Ananias said, here's what we sold it for. Thinking that, hey, yeah, they don't, they don't know any different. They're going to think we gave all of it. They had no reason to do that, but they lied. And they were both killed for it. Let me continue reading. Uh, and it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then she fell down straightway at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in, and found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. So this wasn't even disobeying a, a, a commandment. This was just lying. This was, they saw the gesture and they thought, hey, we can do that too, but we're going to keep a little back, but we're going to make them think that we did it just like they did. They missed the point of the gesture entirely. The point of the gesture was to provide for everybody equally. Sell what they had that they didn't need so that everybody else could have. What about Instrumental music. I know we had a, a lesson on that last, last Sunday. Instrumental music is, you know, sprouts from a bad interpretation. Somebody said, hey, you know, musical instrument is a tool. It will help us to sing better so we can use it just like a songbook, right? Well, no, not exactly. What about the Lord's Supper, those denominations that take it once a month or once every six months or once every quarter? Well, the Bible says the only example we're given, and they did it on the first day of the week. Not the first day of the month, not the first day of the year, not the first day of the quarter, the first day of the week. So that interpretation to do it once a quarter is not correct. Go blank baseball. Lord's Supper on the first day, uh, we'll do it on the first day of the month. They change the words out. We have an example of, uh, of a, good, uh, or a good example where somebody fixed it. You know, everybody knows the story of Naaman. It's there in 2 Kings chapter 5. He was a, a proud man, a very high-standing man, and he was told to go dip in the Jordan. He had uh, uh, leprosy, I believe. Um, and, of course, a leper could not last very long in the high social circles at, at that time. So he had a problem. He was going to lose everything he was living for if leprosy became an issue. So he asked, what, what need I do? And the prophet told him, Go dip in the Jordan seven times. Easy. And at first, he was angry. He was irate that this, something so simple would be what, and he, he was sure that he would have to do something difficult, pay in a large sum of money or do something difficult. And his servant, of course, the wise one said, you know, you were ready to do something so difficult. Why are you mad that something so simple will work? And, of course, Naaman, understanding went, dipped seven times, and was clean, just like he said, just like it said would happen. Obedience with understanding. Naaman finally, through his servant, understood what he had to do and did it. Now, how many people interpret the Bible like this? Have you, how many times have you heard a quote similar to, the Bible is a good guide for living a happy life? Or, 
If you're a good person, you'll make it to heaven. How many times have you heard somebody say that, whether on TV or maybe somebody you work with? Oh, all you got to do is be a good person, you know, don't lie, cheat or steal or kill anybody, and you're okay. How many times have you heard that? Quite a bit, I would, I would have to guess. <clears throat> this is more of a uh, disobedience through a failure to act. These people have probably read the Bible. They probably understand some of it, but they just don't accept that it still applies to us today. There are a lot of people who say, oh, the Bible was written for people, you know, 2,000 years ago, and they understand what it means, but since we're, you know, culturally everything is so different, you know, it just doesn't apply to us. Well, King Agrippa, I'm sure you've all heard of him in Acts 26, he said, almost, thou persuadest me to be a Christian, almost. And we never, through the rest of the Bible, hear him again where he became a Christian, almost. We can assume that King Agrippa failed. He was disobedient. He did not follow the gospel. What about things like the sinner's prayer? I'm sure you've all heard of that or seen it on TV. Those televangelists say, all you have to do is close your eyes, put your hand on the TV screen, and say this prayer as I say it, and you will be saved. That's a bunch of hogwash, I'll tell you right now. Prayer does not lead to salvation. There is nowhere inside this book, inside the Bible, that says that prayer will save you. Nowhere. What about the once saved, always saved people? Those people that interpret the Bible to say, okay, once I'm saved, I can do whatever I want now. doesn't matter. I can sin all I want. I did this one thing in the past, and that covers me for the rest of my life. How is that a proper interpretation of anything that the Bible says? We have an example of Simon the sorcerer, of somebody who interpreted something one way, found out he was wrong, and then through repentance came back. A good example. So Simon the sorcerer, Acts 8, verses 18 through 24. Let me find it. Here it is. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. That was his interpretation, that he could buy this thing saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought of the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this manner, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon, and said, pray, thee, pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. So here was this Simon. Uh, at one point in his life, he had, they called him a sorcerer. He had tricks, and he used his tricks to kind of have a, a power over the people around him. They respected him highly because of the things that he could do. And he saw real miracles, and he wanted a piece of that. He's like, hey... I need to get there because these guys are doing what I've been playing at. They're doing it for real. So he goes in and he thinks, hey, I can pay these guys for it. You know, they need money. Sure they do. They'll let me do it. And he was sorely mistaken. His heart was not in the right place. His interpretation was, this man will accept money for this. Absolutely not. But he was repentant. He understood what he said. He understood, the, you know, the, the response. No. Your mind is not in the right place. You're in the bond of iniquity. 
and he was repentant. <clears throat> and here, probably the saddest of all, how many people interpret the Bible like this? Blank, blank, blank. They don't even see a go. People that say that science says evolution in the Big Bang, that's how we began. People firmly believe that. What about, and I don't know if you've heard the name, um, hope not, a guy named Bill Maher. He has a, a talk show on HBO, and he is a very outspoken opponent uh, for religion. He actually had a movie made. I believe it was called Religulous was the name of the movie, like Ridiculous with religion. But he says that religion is a mental disorder and that people who are religious should be locked up in a loony bin. That is his understanding. What about people that say there is no God? Psalms 14.1, I'm sure we've all heard it before. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The fool, I want you to remember that word because we're going to hear that a couple of times. The fool saith in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, they have done abominable works, and there is none that doeth good. Also Luke 12, 16 through 21. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is, that he, <clears throat> so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. The Bible makes several mentions of people like this, these fools that believe blank, 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 that believe that there is no God or that religion is a mental disorder. 1 Peter 2, 15. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Romans 1, starting in verse 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. But because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Science says evolution in the Big Bang Theory. Professing themselves to be wise... They became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Excuse me. Now the book of Proverbs for those of you who are familiar with it, you hear the word fool or foolishly or anything like that 77 times in the book of Proverbs. I picked out, I think, eight or nine or so that I thought were extremely pertinent. I want to share those with you. Remember, keep in mind we're talking about the people that say these things. They interpret the Bible as nothing. And they say things like that. There is no God or evolution, big bang. Apply these to those people as I read them. Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 10, verse 8. The wise in heart will receive commandments, but a prating fool shall fall. Proverbs 10, verse 21. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for want of wisdom. 
Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes. How true is that? <clears throat> Proverbs 14 and verse 9. Fools make a mock at sin, but among the righteous there is favor. Fools make a mock at sin. How very true is that? Proverbs 17, verse 10. This one may be uh, my favorite. A reproof entereth more into a wise man than a hundred stripes into a fool. So a wise person will take criticism, whereas a fool will not. All right? Uh, Proverbs 22 and verse 15. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it from him. Proverbs 26, 4. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou be also be like unto him. Have y'all ever heard that adage, you know, don't argue with an idiot because he'll drag you down to his level and beat you with experience? I, I kind of, uh, I see that in this proverb. Let me read again. Proverbs 26, 4. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. So don't argue with a fool. And then Proverbs 28, 26, the last one. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. But whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. So we see lots of references in the Bible to people who interpret it like this. They don't believe that there is a God. They don't believe anything about it. They think religion is a mental disorder. They are all fools. The Bible says so, and that's what I think too. So, go play baseball. If God said, go play baseball, which interpretation would you make? Would you, like me, and I would assume most of you would, would you go play baseball? Whether you were good at it or not doesn't matter. Whether you know how to play baseball or not is up to you to learn. The idea is that you do what God said and you go play baseball. Or would you decide, you know what, I think soccer's better. Or football's better. Or maybe you just want to watch somebody play baseball. Or maybe you just, you know what, I'm just going to go drive around for a little while instead. Or do you think, there's no reason for me to do that. I don't believe God is who he says he is and I don't think I have to do what he says. That's the last person. Now, of course, only one of those interpretations is correct. The plan of salvation is simple. We talked about that in, in the lesson this morning. Easy steps. You have to hear the word, obviously. This is Romans 10, 13 through 17. Normally we only use uh, uh, verse 17, but let me read the whole group. Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How many people stop right there? How many denominations have you heard? Stop right there. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, if you continue reading, continue the thought in the Bible, you hear this. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings to good things, of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So it's not just calling upon the name of the Lord. You have to believe. We saw that here. You must believe. Mark 16, 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Fairly straightforward. But how many people, you know, using Mark 16, 16, use it to say baptism is not required? Because, and I've heard the argument, actually, in, in the Bible that I use, it's one of those Zondervan study Bibles. Well, Zondervan 
that group does not believe baptism is required. So in the little footnote in that Bible, it says, this isn't saying that baptism is required because look at what it says about belief. It says all you have to do is not believe. It doesn't say anything about not being baptized. And I think that's the most ridiculous argument because who is going to be baptized if they don't believe in God? doesn't make any sense. Anyway, Hebrews 11.6. But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Here's the, the faith people. They interpret that to say, hey, faith, that's what it takes to please him, just faith. Okay? Repentance. Now, I'll have to say, most Christian denominations, we all agree on repentance. Most of us. The Bible teaches that repentance comes before forgiveness. But everybody teaches so far that repentance is necessary. There are a lot of, how many times have you heard, and I actually heard this from a family member, that they'll go out and party, drink, do whatever, and then they'll pray for forgiveness when they go to church that Sunday, fully knowing that, that well, later on that week they're going to go out and drink and party and come back that next Sunday and pray for forgiveness and go out and drink and party and come back Sunday and pray for forgiveness. Does that make sense? Is that true repentance? No. Thank you. Repentance comes before forgiveness. That is what the Bible says. That's what we teach. Acts 2.38, we're all familiar with. And Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Luke 13.3, I tell you, Nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Again, repentance, the interpretation is, yes, it's required. But denominations look at it differently. Confession. Now, that word can be confused with the, the Catholic's idea of confession, where you come and confess your sins to a priest. Well, I'll tell you right now, that is nowhere in the Bible. Nowhere. Well, Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Whosoever therefore shall confess me, me being Jesus, shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is, heaven, which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. So the confession here is not, here's what I did wrong. It's, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That is the confession, public confession, I believe. And then Acts 8, 37, Philip said, this is again with the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Amen. That Ethiopian eunuch confessed Jesus' name. And of course, baptism. We've seen, you know, people have varying, varying ideas on baptism. Their interpretations are, oh, that was just required back then. It's not required now. Or, hey, we can sprinkle. Hey, we can pour. Well, that's not, as the analogy, that's not playing baseball, as God said. That's doing something different. But we've already read Mark 16, 16. 1 Peter 3, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. He's talking about uh, Noah and how those eight people were saved um, by the water and the ark. Not putting away the filth of the flesh but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So baptism doth now save us. How many ways can that be interpreted? Correctly? One, that baptism is required. But many people interpret it incorrectly. Colossians 2, verse 12. Buried with him in baptism, wherein ye also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. Being buried with Christ, that's what baptism is. 
Christ died for us. We're baptized and buried in water to symbolize that we understand what that means. We understand why Jesus died. And that baptism is an answer of a good conscience towards God. We know we are putting ourselves in the same boat, so to speak. That's what baptism is. And, of course, Revelation 2.10, Be faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. A few people disagree with that. They say, no, I just have to be faithful once, and then I can do whatever I want. That is a bad interpretation. So what if God said, go play baseball? What if he gave that simple command? And again, perfection is not required. God's not saying in this analogy, go hit a home run, because we all know that that's hard to do. Most of us probably couldn't, except maybe Lucas. Go hit a home run. How many of us could do it? Not many, but that's not what God said. God didn't say go pitch a perfect game, which for those of y'all who aren't familiar with baseball, pitching a perfect game means you see three batters an inning, and you strike them all out, or you make them get out, so you pitch to no more than 27 people the entire game. That's it. Very rarely is that done in baseball, and that's, but that's not the analogy. God's not saying go pitch a perfect game. God's not saying go hit a home run. When he says, here's the plan of salvation, do it. That's what he's saying. Go play baseball. Do it. Do what I said. Don't tweak it. Don't turn it. Go play baseball. Perfection is not required, but obedience is. And the proper interpretation is absolutely required for proper obedience. I believe that's the end of it. For those of you who are Christians now, this lesson has not been anything you haven't heard before. Um, for those of you who are not Christians, if there are any in the audience, I would like to sincerely request that you think hard on being obedient to God. If you are here and you're not a Christian, obviously you believe or you wouldn't be here. You have heard the word. You believe that God is who he says he is. Do the rest of what God says. God says, confess my name. Repent of your sins and turn away from them. Be baptized. That's what's left. And then live faithfully. You know, this invitation song that we're about to sing, this is the time for you to do that. There is no better time than right now to come straight with God, to be baptized, to understand what Jesus did, and to be part of this church. You know, but the, the invitation song isn't only for that. You know, for, for those of us who are Christians, if we've fallen away, now's the time to ask for prayers. If something you've done, in, you know, sinful has been in, in public and somebody knows about it, you need to publicly ask for forgiveness. Apologize to the people who you did wrong to and ask for the prayers of the church and be forgiven. If something you've done is private, that's between you and God. But make sure you repent first. Remember, repentance comes before forgiveness. If any of these things with the invitation apply to you tonight, we ask that, or today, we ask that you would come forward as we stand and we sing.